queer life in Montreal was wild. Montreal in the 90s was a great time, but it had a dark side. It was not a safe city for gay people back then. But what else was behind a series of deaths in the city? Somebody's killing gay men. We want to know why. I'm Francis Plourde, and this is The Village, The Montreal Murders. Get early access to episodes at cbc.ca slash listen or by subscribing to the CBC True Crime Premium channel on Apple Podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. A warning, this next story deals with sexual violence. Naste naste, kareeb bara vajay. Kapil munda, mujhe achanak baan pakal kar kinare le jane laga. Her voice is soft, but the story she tells is harrowing. She is a young girl from South India describing how she was gang-raped. It happened after a wedding. The three men were all from her village. She was just 13 years old. Her ordeal and the family's search for justice are the subject of the documentary To Kill a Tiger by the Canadian filmmaker Nisha Pahuja. I spoke with Nisha in September of 2022 when this documentary premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival. Well, now that film has been nominated in the Best Documentary Feature category for the 96th Academy Awards. Here is my conversation with Nisha Pahuja. Tell me how you ended up telling this story, mm-hmm. um, because that in itself is a story. Yeah. Um, you know, interestingly, I actually started making a film that was looking at toxic masculinity in India. This was this was about in 2000, 2014. And... Um, I was following the work of a group of activists who are running a program where they're reprogramming sort of men and boys, trying to get them to rethink masculinity, challenging them on their privilege. And Ranjit, the father who's featured in the film, uh, happened to be a part of that program. And as uh, as I was filming, this this happened to his child. And so I began following following that story and followed it to its to its conclusion. This is a story about about. This young girl, it's about her family, but it's also a story about the village that she yeah. lives in. Tell us about the village. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, th- I think, you know, what's, what was sort of a revelation for me, and I think it will be also for audiences who see the film, um, is you, you'll understand actually that in, in India, it's the, the community and the sense of uh, family um, is sort of the foundation of of that society. So India is not an individualistic society. It's not based on the individual. It's actually based on the collective and and on on community. And in Ranjit's village, as as is the case for many villages in India, um, community is also about survival. And it's so deeply connected to your actual survival, both kind of material um, and emotional and uh, spiritual. So for Ranjit to go against his community, you know, essentially meant that he was putting himself in an extremely vulnerable position and his family in, in a very vulnerable position. So that's why it was it was such a powerful, uh, it, was a, it was such a powerful stand for, for him to do what he did. And by, by going against his community, you mean reporting what had happened? Yeah, yeah, because... Um, you know, what happens in India is you, you tend to sweep those things uh, under the rug, right? Because uh, for, for many reasons, you know, partly it's because, um, because of these ideas of honor and shame. Um, 
And partly it's because you there is no sort of recognition of women and girls as, as, as being equal. So it's not taken it's not taken seriously. It's seen as some kind of a mistake. And the victim is is always blamed, you know, that boys are never sort of held held to account. So um there's a statistic in the film that um, over 90% of rapes in India go unreported. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, um, which is, you know, a staggering amount, you know, if, 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 you, th- if you think about it, right? That's a huge amount. I mean, if, if you, uh, the other, you know, the other, the, the other statistic that we, that we mentioned is that there's a, there's a rape that happens, you know, once every 20 minutes, you know? So if you just extrapolate, from from that, you know, ninety percent are unreported, and there's a rape, a reported rape once every twenty minutes. The, the numbers are are astronomical. So, in his community, his very tight community, um, what sort of response does he get from the other community members when he comes forward and brings a complaint against the men that he alleges raped his daughter? Well, it creates a huge conflict. And he's threatened um, with violence, um, and eventually the crew is also threatened with violence. So, you speak with people, men and women in the community, yeah. about him coming forward, and it's interesting because the men are very silent when the conversation happens. The women in the community are not. Yeah, you're nodding as I'm talking about this. Can you tell me more about that? That's a fascinating moment in yeah. this film. Yeah, that was. I mean, that's a really gripping, you know, it's it's so gripping because you realize really that this misogyny um, is something and this patriarchy is something that is carried forth by both men and women. And that's true the world over. Um, but it really, it really struck, you know, it really struck me and I think it will it'll strike everyone that watches the film. You expect the men to say these sorts of things. You don't expect the women to to say that she should marry her rapist. Which is what some of the women say. Which is what everyone in the community felt. That she should marry one of the men who raped her. That's correct. Why would somebody suggest that? To keep the peace, social cohesion, you know? I mean, that's, that's such an important part of, of those societies, is, is keeping, keeping the peace and, and creating uh, peace within the collective, maintaining, sustaining peace within the collective. There's this idea that's floated that the village could lose its honor if this were to get out. What does that mean? Um, you know, that's the other, the other thing about India and Indian society, the sense of what people think, of what other people think. And an honor is, has always been tied, I mean, this is sort of universal, you know, it's it's always been tied to the bodies of women. And so, you know, if you think about rape, even here, that the stigma um, of of rape, the, the feelings of shame and the guilt uh, that women feel, I think that's, I think that's universal. But in India, it's, it's so extreme that it will lead to something like, you know, real silence or marrying, marrying your rapist. What about the stigma and the effect of the stigma on on this young girl. Talk a little bit about about what she goes through. There's a scene in which she talks about how she doesn't essentially leave her home. That mm-hmm. she just stays home. What is life like for her in the immediate aftermath of this? Yeah. Well, um you know, it was kind of extraordinary cuz I mean, everybody in the film goes on uh, a particular journey, yeah. you know, where they where they're uh it, sort of from from 
from shame to, to freedom, you know, from, from that stigma. And she goes through, you know, she, she goes through the same process. Uh, so I think um, now, you know, I, I speak to her regularly, and I just spoke to her a few days ago. And now she is a f- well-adjusted, uh, almost 19-year-old living in the city. She doesn't live in the village anymore. She goes to school. She wants to become a police officer. Uh, she's happy you know, she's sort of dealing with she's she's dealing with it as as best she can, but she's it feels like she's put the bulk of it you know behind her. But in those early moments, I mean, it it, it that's not the case at all. No, no, she was she was devastated, and and you know how could you not be? And she couldn't. I mean, as a thirteen year old child to to process that and 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 to live with that, and you know also the men uh, threatened to kill her, so she was carrying that trauma as well and obviously the you know the the trauma of the community and the guilt and and the shame and that feeling of being stained and and marked somehow what about her family her father's is is a key figure in this film how does her rape affect them um well i think for ranjit you know as he says in the film um for him, his motivation, part of his motivation initially is to uh, kind of redeem his, his family honor, you know, as, as, the, as the protector of her virginity and the protector of his family and, and her honor. It's, he has to, he has to do this. Um, and I think mom, uh, what was kind of extraordinary about mom is that she actually initially was kind of nervous, you know, and then she just becomes fierce. A force of, yeah. Oh yeah, she becomes the tiger in in a way, you know. She's she's quite uh, she's quite forceful, and I think they all felt eventually quite emboldened, and and they felt that they were doing the right thing. Doing the right thing means, I mean, in in the face of pressure from, as you say, everyone in the village, um, he decides to pursue a criminal complaint against these young men. Yeah, and I, I think you know, with for Ranjit, I think part of it also was. A desire to make some kind of change. You know, he's he was ex- he's really an exceptional person. He's Tell me about him because person. he's a, he is a really interesting person to listen to and to watch speak. Yeah, yeah. He's he was he was fascinating. He really took me by surprise. I mean, you know that still waters run deep, right? He was very quiet and um, uh, very internal, and obviously, you know, very conflicted. Uh, but he was really processing the experience, and I think he was really reflecting on the experience and and what it was, what it was sort of creating in him. This kind of churning that it was creating in him, and he really, really loves his daughter. Yeah, really loves his daughter, and I think he just wanted to wanted to do right by her. But he also faces. I mean, physical threats, in addition yeah. to threats that go beyond his physical safety when it comes to going forward with his complaint. This is the village he lives in. It's a small village. Everybody knows everybody else. And he and others are explicitly told, don't do this. Why do you think the family went forward? I think they were driven by the right thing. I really believe that. I think they felt that they they had to do it, that it was what what had happened was wrong and they weren't going to back down no matter what. I think also they felt a tremendous amount of support from the NGO, from the Shrijan Foundation that was that was working with them. And I think also they understood 
the power of us as a as a crew and i think they felt protected and and supported by this, these these outsiders that were kind of following following the case what's what's the foundation the foundation plays a, a big role in this film as well yeah so it's an it's an ngo called the called the shrijan foundation and they do a number of things and gender justice is obviously obviously one of their areas of of interests and part of it is is about convincing families like this to come forward and, and not sweep this under the rug how what are they up against it's monumental what what they're what they're up against matt we talk about change a, a lot in in india in terms of gender but the you know what you're what you're looking at really is your it's it's a culture where misogyny and patriarchy is so deeply entrenched that it's it's going to take generations, really, for that kind of change to take place on a level that is profound um, and sustained. Hi, I'm Damon Fairless, host of Hunting Warhead from CBC Podcasts and the Norwegian newspaper VG. Hunting Warhead follows a global team of police and journalists as they attempt to dismantle a massive network of predators on the dark web. Winner of the grand prize for best investigative reporting at the New York festivals and recommended by The Guardian, Vulture, and The Globe and Mail, you can find Hunting Warhead on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. How successful have they been in this? I mean, again, you document conversations that members of this organization have with the family, also with other members in the community, and conversations amongst themselves about what they're doing and why they're doing and why it's important. How successful have they been? Um, it's slow. It's, it's you know, the, the process in India especially is slow, and it really requires this kind of grassroots, on-the-ground, individually tailored approach, because India is such a complex society, you know, it's so diverse. So you have to sort of do on on the ground work, and I I think it's really about how you measure success, and I think the way they measure success is at the level of the individual. So I think for them, they feel the fact that you know they, the fact that Ranjit did what he did, and he becomes kind of a, a role model. You know, they've changed one person, um, and he becomes a symbol. You know, I th I think for them, they they feel very very heartened by that. But it's not just issues within the village. I mean, there are huge systemic issues that they're up against as well, and that the family's up against. Do you think of of one of the defense lawyers for one of these men who says, you can't forget that you're just a girl? And she also, she, the defense lawyer, also says she wouldn't even trust her own son. What does that tell you? Well, it tells you how deep the problem is i mean doesn't it you know if if you've got the legal system that is essentially um supporting the culture and the cultural prejudices then it really tells you how big the fight is and how 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 big the struggle is right so you've mentioned a couple of times um that your crew is right in the middle of this you're there documenting this and the family is threatened by people in the village but you're also threatened what happened well, I mean, you know, Matt, we, we knew what we were getting into. You know, we, we knew that we were in a situation that had the potential to become a bit of a powder keg. And we had talked about how we would handle it and what we would do as, as a crew. 
but when it happened, you're you're so unprepared, right? You're completely sort of flabbergasted and you're shocked. And so we were filming with mum in her home when our driver came into the house and uh, started telling us that there were men and women that were gathering, <clears throat> threatening to kind of burn our car, um, threatening to attack us, and they wanted us to leave. So they started, a few people started entering the home and other people were, were gathering outside uh, and it and it erupted, you know, and we and we had to leave. Bef- before we left, uh, we did actually try to placate the villagers. We did actually go outside and 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 calm them down, you know. And the violence was sort of in this. It sort of went in waves, you know. So you we we managed to calm them down, and then the men would sort of surround us, and it was the women really that that got us out of the that got us out of the village. So it was it was terrifying. We never went back. Obviously, you know, we we never went back. Terrifying. Yeah. You were you were genuinely concerned for your safety. Yes, I was concerned for my safety and the crew, for sure, and the family. Again, what do you think that was about? Why would the villagers feel so threatened that that they would threaten to attack? Outsiders. Not, I mean, it's not justifying threatening to attack people who live in the village and threatening to burn their house down, um, but that they would also threaten mm-hmm. outsiders to the community. Well, I because they felt that we were, uh, they they felt that because of us and because of the the NGO, um, Ranjith was pursuing the case, and if it if it weren't for us, he would have dropped the case, and the shame would not, you know, have come to the village. They would have been able to sweep it under the rug. So, I mean, essentially, they, they, they blamed us and the NGO for the process. How much change have you seen in the country? Again, I'd, we don't want to give everything away in this film um, in terms of what happens with that case and what happens in, in, in the, the time after. But you have seen some change in India when it comes to the strengthening of laws around sexual assault, sexual violence. From your perspective, what's changing there? Um, yeah. There, there have been uh, sort of additional laws and and laws that uh, you know are sort of there to expedite rape cases. Uh, more severe punishments are being meted out, and you see that. Uh, but I think those only go so far. I don't think I don't think they're taken as seriously as you know they're intended to be taken. And I think that's really because of how deep the prejudice is in the culture. You know, you're asking 50% of the population to give up their power. They're not going to do it easily, you know. And and so it, that's why the, the kind of change that these organizations are doing on the ground, I think for me, is, is so so important. You know, you have to change things on, on different levels, you know, in, in any society. You know, if you want change to, to happen, it has to exist in, on, on different levels. But I think in India, what's, uh, what's exceptional about it is that it probably needs more on-the-ground engagement. We have been in this conversation very deliberate in not naming the young girl who is at the center of this. In the film, she's named, you see her face, we learn a lot about her. Tell me, I mean, given everything that we've talked about, the stigma that exists, the threats that she faces, um, tell me about the decision to to put her front and center and and what that was like for you, but also for her to be comfortable with you doing that. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, that was a journey in and of itself, yeah. right? You know, so because you know, obviously the the laws in India. Um, state that you cannot reveal the identity of a rape victim, especially a child, which makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the intention was always to find a way to hide her identity, to you know, sort of obscure her identity in in the edit. And we spent a lot of time and a lot of energy trying to find a way that was artful enough, um, creative enough. Uh, and also didn't take away from her humanity, you know, sort of kept her presence and her being alive in the film. We, that was really important for us. And nothing satisfied those those demands. And, you know, I realized it was because we were obliterating her. We were, we were, we were erasing her from her own story. And I think ethically for me, you know, what, what I realized at some point, and this happened while I was filming, you know, the the laws in India, I mean, laws period, you know, they're, they don't change culture. They're a reflection of culture. They exist almost to kind of as a response to culture. And so I felt that the law, which, which demanded that I not reveal her identity or the identity of any rape victim, was actually rooted in the very prejudice that I was fighting against. And it felt that not showing her would be going backwards. It would be taking a step backwards. I would be violating her. But we also knew that it was her decision. You know, there's no way that I would impose that on a child or her her family. And it just so happened that we took so long, you know, making this film that by the time we were done, she was 18. And I spoke with her about it. And her family were absolutely okay because there's so much trust you know, built up over the years. And um, and I asked her how she felt about it. And she said, let me watch the film and I'll decide. So my sound recordist um, went to the city uh, where they live and showed the family the film. And then I called them on Zoom. And as soon as I saw their faces, it was so clear to me, you know. And um, she was just beaming and said, yes, yes. And how is she now? You said you, you spoke with her just a few days ago. Yeah, yeah, I speak to the family regularly. Uh, she's she's well, you know, she's well. She she posts a lot of videos, <laughs> Bollywood dancing and She's like a typical 19-year-old. <laughs> typical 19-year-old, yeah, exactly, yeah. And why is it important for you to keep in touch with them and to keep in touch with her in particular? Often, this is the film, and then you move on, the subject moves on, and away you go. That's not the case here. Well, I have to say, I keep in touch with people from all of my films. <laughs> you're, you're atypical in that it's, regard, yeah. They're, you know, I mean, not all, not everybody, you know, but they're definitely, with every single film I've made, there are friendships that, that you know, that have lasted for 20 years in, in some cases. So, um, for me, it's not, it's not unusual. In this particular case, obviously, I feel very, very protective and uh, a real responsibility to the family. So A real responsibility. What what is that responsibility? I feel like I feel privileged that they shared this story with me, and that they unmasked themselves so profoundly and and so deeply that they revealed so much of of their frailties to me. 
it's sacred and and so you know there's a there's a real love that develops a real feeling of of family and kinship is we've gone through something together you know and i also know that there is you know potential that the film uh, will have an impact you know that people will see it in india that it might be controversial for them you know and i want to i want to be there to su- to support that it's a really powerful film. Congratulations. Thank you so much, Matt. Nisha Pahuja is the director of To Kill a Tiger. I spoke with her in September of 2022. That film is now nominated in the Best Documentary Feature category for the 96th Academy Awards. Congratulations, Nisha. And you can watch that film right now for free. You can stream it at nfb.ca. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.